Chapter fifty eight of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius. Book one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emma Stays. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius. Book one. By Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 58. That a people is wiser and more constant than a prince. That nothing is more fickle and inconstant than the multitude is affirmed not by Titus Livius only, but by all other historians in whose chronicles of human actions we often find the multitude condemning some citizen to death, and afterwards lamenting him and grieving greatly for his loss. As the Romans grieved and lamented for Malleus Capitolinus, whom they had themselves condemned to die in relating which circumstance our author observes in a short time the people having no longer cause to fear him began to deplore his death and elsewhere when speaking of what took place in syracuse after the murder of hieronymus grandson of hiero he says it is the nature of the multitude to be an object slave or a domineering master it may be that in attempting to defend a cause which as i have said all writers are agreed to condemn i take upon me a task so hard and difficult that i shall either have to relinquish it with shame or pursue it with opprobrium be that as it may i neither do nor ever shall judge it a fault to support opinions by arguments where it is not sought to impose them by violence or authority i maintain then that this infirmity with which historians tax the multitude may with equal reason be charged against every individual man but most of all against princes since all who are not controlled by the laws will commit the very same faults as are committed by an uncontrolled multitude proof whereof were easy since of all the many princes existing or who have existed few indeed are or have been either wise or good i speak of such princes as have had it in their power to break the reins by which they are controlled among whom i do not reckon those kings who reign in egypt in the most remote antiquity when that country was governed in conformity with its laws nor do i include those kings who reigned in sparta nor those who in our own times reign in france which kingdom more than any other whereof we have knowledge that at the present day is under the government of its laws for kings who live as these do subject to constitutional restraint are not to be counted when we have to consider each man's proper nature and to see whether he resembles the multitude for to draw a comparison with such princes as these we must take the case of a multitude controlled as they are and regulated by the laws when we shall find it to possess the same virtues which we see in them and neither conducting itself as an abject slave nor as a domineering master such was the people of rome whom while their commonwealth continued uncorrupted never either served abjectly nor domineered haughtily but on the contrary by means of their magistrates and their ordinances maintained their place and when forced to put forth their strength against some powerful citizen as in the case of manilus the decembers and others who sought to oppress them did so but when it was necessary for the public welfare to yield obedience to the dictator or consuls obeyed 
and if the Roman people mourned the loss of dead Manilus, it is no wonder, for they mourned his virtues, which had been of a sort that their memory stirred the regret of all, and would have had power to produce the same feeling even in a prince. All writers being agreed that excellence is praised, and admired even by its enemies. But if Manilus, when he was so greatly mourned, could have risen once more from the dead, the Roman people would have pronounced the same sentence against him, which they pronounced when they led him forth from the prison-house, and straightway condemned him to die. And in like manner we see that princes, accounted wise, have put men to death, and afterwards greatly lamented them, as Alexander mourned for Clytus and other of his friends, and Herod for Miriam. But what our historians say of the multitude, he says not of a multitude which, like the people of Rome, is controlled by the laws, but an uncontrolled multitude like the Syracusans, who were guilty of all these crimes which infuriated and ungoverned men commit, and which were equally committed by Alexander and Herod in the cases mentioned. Wherefore the nature of a multitude is no more to be blamed than the natures of princes, since both equally err when they can do so without regards to consequences, of which many instances, besides those already given, might be cited from history of the Roman emperors, and of other princes and tyrants, in whose lives we find such inconsistency and fickleness as we might look in vain for in a people. I maintain, therefore, contrary to the common opinion which avers that a people, when they have the management of affairs, are changeable, fickle, and ungrateful, that these faults exist not in them otherwise than as they exist in individual princes. So that were any to accuse both princes and peoples, the charges might be true, but that to make exception in favor of princes is a mistake. For a people in command, if it be duly restrained, will have the same prudence and the same gratitude as a prince has, or even more, however wise he may be reckoned. And a prince, on the other hand, if freed from the controls of laws, will be more ungrateful, fickle, and short-sighted than a people. And further, I say that any difference in their methods of acting results not from any difference in their nature that being the same in both, or, if there be advantage on either side, the advantage resting with the people, but from their having more or less respect for the laws under which each lives. And whoever attentively considers the history of the Roman people may see that for four hundred years they never relaxed in their hatred of the regal name, and were constantly devoted to the glory and welfare of their country, and will find numberless proofs given by them of their consistencies in both particulars. And should any allege against me in the ingratitude they showed towards Scipio, I reply by what has already been said at length on that head, where I prove that peoples are less ungrateful than princes. But as for prudence and stability on purpose, I affirm that a people is more prudent, more staple, and of better judgment than a prince. Nor is it without reason that the voice of the people have been likened to the voice of God. For we see that the widespread beliefs fulfill themselves, and bring about marvellous results, so as to have their appearance of presaging by some occult quality, either weal or woe. Again, as to the justice of their opinions on public affairs, seldom find that after hearing two speakers of equal ability urging them in opposite directions, they do not adopt the sonder view, or are unable to decide on the truth of what they hear. And if, as I have said, a people errs in adopting courses which appear to it bold and advantageous, 
princes will likewise err when their passions are touched as is far oftener the case with them than with the people we see too that in the choice of magistrates the people will choose far more honestly than a prince so that while you shall never persuade a people that it is advantageous to confer dignities on the infamous and profligate a prince may readily and in a thousand ways be drawn to do so again it may be seen that a people when once they have come to hold a thing in abhorrence remain for many ages of the same mind which we do not find happen with princes for the truth of both of which assertions the roman people are my sufficient witness who in the course of so many hundred years and in so many elections of consuls and tribunes never made four appointments of which they had reason to repent and as i have said so detested the name of king that no obligation they might be under to any citizen who affected that name could shield him from the appointed penalty further we find that those cities wherein the government is in the hands of the people in a very short space of time make marvellous progress far exceeding that made by cities which have been always ruled by princes as rome grew after the expulsion of her kings and athens after she freed herself from the pisistratus and this we can ascribe to no other cause than that the rule of a people is better than the rule of a prince nor would i have thought that anything our historian may have affirmed in the passage cited or elsewhere controverts these my opinions for if all the glories and all the defects of both people and of princes be carefully weighed it will appear that both for goodness and for glory a people is to be preferred and if princes surpass peoples in the work of legislation in shaping civil institutions in moulding statutes and framing new ordinances so far do the latter surpass the former in maintaining what has once been established as to merit no less praise than they and to state the sum of the whole matter shortly i say that popular governments have endured for long periods in the same way as the governments of princes and that both have need to be regulated by laws because the princes who can do what he pleases is a madman and people which can do as it pleases is never wise if then we assume the case of a prince bound and of a people chained down by laws greater virtues will appear in the people than in the prince while if we assume the case of each of them freed from all control it will be seen that the people commits fewer errors than the prince and less serious errors and such as admit of readier cure for a turbulent and unruly people may be spoken to by a good man and readily brought back to good ways but none can speak to a wicked prince nor any remedy be found against him but by the sword and from this we may infer which of the two suffers from the worst disease for if the disease of the people may be healed by words while that of the prince must be dealt with by the sword there is none but will judge that evil to be the greater which demands the more violent remedy when a people is absolutely uncontrolled it is not so much the follies which it commits or the evils which it actually does that excites alarm as the mischief which may thence result since in such disorders it becomes possible for a tyrant to spring up but with a wicked prince the contrary is the case for we dread present ill and place our hopes in the futures 
persuading ourselves that the evil life of the prince may bring about our freedom, so that there is this distinction between the two, that with the one we fear what is, with the other what is likely to be. Again, the cruelties of a people are turned against him who it fears will encroach upon the common rights, but the cruelties of the prince against those who he fears may assert those rights. The prejudice which is entertained against the people arises from this, that any man may speak ill of them openly and fearlessly, even when the government is in their hands, whereas princes are always spoken of with a thousand reserves and a constant eye to consequences. But since the subject suggests it, it seems to me not out of place to consider what alliances we can most trust, whether those made with commonwealths or those made with princes. End of chapter 58